0: You have a Bible. Grab that. Flip over to Daniel chapter five. This is week 13 in our journey through the 12 chapters of Daniel. Uh, we are going to finish up chapter five today. Uh, we'll, be, we'll begin in verse 17. If you've got a Pew Bible, I think it's page 742, somewhere in there. Uh, if I'm wrong, there's a table of contents in the front of the Bible. Uh, we want to be a church who uh, teaches the Bible, who loves the Bible, who follows the Bible, who lives the Bible. And the best way to do that is to dive in and know the Bible. And we do that in a couple of ways. Uh, one, we do that by teaching the Bible here, we do that by uh, monitoring the songs that we sing through the lens of the Bible. Uh, we do that by praying the Bible. Miss Donna came this morning and read to us uh, from the book of James and then prayed that that would actually become true in our lives. And the only way that that becomes true in our lives is if the Holy Spirit then begins to work in us. And the only way that the Holy Spirit can work in us is if we open ourselves up to become available to that. We cannot say, okay, Holy Spirit, do your thing, work in us while I dive headfirst into Uh, these things, uh, just trusting that one day you'll magically wipe them away. But as you and I begin to turn our back from sin, as you and I begin to learn to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit then begins to empower us and push us on further. Uh, The reason that we do this, the reason that we dive into the Bible, is because we have to follow something how many, how many of you have ever heard uh, someone say to you or to someone else, well, just follow your heart. You know, whatever your heart tells you, can't be wrong. Just, just make a decision based on your heart. How many of you have ever followed that advice? <laughs> and gotten all of the results you were hoping for? I don't know that I've ever just simply followed my heart because my heart... It doesn't necessarily point me to what's best. My heart points me to what I want. Read this with me from Jeremiah chapter 17. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Right? So we want to be people who learn to run to the Bible and let that direct us forward. Right? And the Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately sick. So the heart can't be trusted. So what can we trust? Uh, I the Lord search the heart and test the mind of every man according to his ways. According to the fruits of his deeds. And so the Lord is not looking for people who trust their hearts. The Lord is looking for people who will have fruitfulness in their their deeds. That are rooted in the scriptures. That are grounded in the cross of Jesus. See, the cross of Jesus frees us from having to follow our heart. I was sending a text to another pastor this morning about what I would do for a baby dedication. And uh, both names for the little girl uh, mean grace. So they name they their daughter, if you go back to the meaning of, the, of it, they name their daughter Grace. Grace. Which seems really weird because no one, my my parents wouldn't have in a million years named me Greg Greg. Of course, in fact, I did actually know a man whose first name was Gregory and his last name was Gregory. And everyone called him Greg Gregory. But that was just kind of a coincidence. But as I was thinking about like, okay, you you just pick the names you like, right? But I don't necessarily believe that we pick names that we like. I, I believe that God knows us intimately. And in John chapter 1 verses 16 and 17. Uh, It talks about, it says that there is this grace upon grace. And it speaks of the Old Testament and the law. That the law was in fact grace. The rules that God set out were in fact grace. Because the payment for sin is death. Right? So Adam and Eve sin, they could have been wiped off the planet. And God could have started over. And that would have been well within his right. Correct? But he didn't. He said, okay, now... I'm going to give you a firm standard. I gave you this standard. Now I'm going to give you. And it was grace that we received the law. And then there was this second grace that came. That said you are incapable of accomplishing the law. And so I will give you the cross of Jesus. To give you a second grace. To cover your inability to meet the first grace. So we want everything to be rooted in. Driven from the cross of Jesus. This second grace that propels us forward. We can't be people who trust our hearts because our hearts are deceitful. They are desperately sick. Maybe this morning you're here and you think, man, well, my heart isn't necessarily all that deceitful. Um, that's your heart deceiving you. So that's proof that it's true because the heart of man is desperately sick. This week we watched... Uh, the Hollywood version of the story of Noah. Richard Crowe. Um, man. So, so basically, the, uh, the things that are true to the Bible are this. There was a person named Noah. He built a boat. There was a flood. And it floated. And Noah and his family were saved apart from that. But during this movie... One of the things, as I was reading, studying, getting ready for this, one of the things that kept jumping to my attention was Noah's keen awareness that humanity was broken beyond repair. Noah, in this movie, not to spoil anything for you, but spoiler alert, which by the way, don't see the movie. Um, So that's the spoil for you. Don't see the movie. I'll spoil it for you right here. Uh, Noah believed that God put them on this boat... So that they could make it through the flood. And then they could die off. And then God would be done with humanity. Because humanity was flawed at its core. There could not have been one more true thing in that story. In that movie. Than the understanding that man's heart. Man is flawed at its core. Incapable of seeking anything. That is worthy of being sought after. But the spirit of God. Now we know through reading the scriptures. And this is why we want to be people. Who are rooted in and grounded in this. Because today we are going to take a look at. And see what is inside of the heart of a man. Scriptures tell us. That you and I are broken. Beyond repair. But Jesus Christ comes in. And doesn't necessarily repair us. But gives us new life. We are not a fixed up. Creation, But we are in fact new creations. That is why we dive into the scriptures. That is why we do everything that we do rooted in, grounded in the cross of Jesus. Because it's only in the cross of Jesus that you and I can read this. And have any way of understanding and knowing it. So, there's a big chunk of text here for us to read. So I'm going to let the magic voice read it. Now we're going to start in verse 17, and we'll read the rest of chapter 5. Jacob, take it away with the magic voice.
1: Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself, and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king, and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship, and greatness, and glory, and majesty and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind, and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, or hear, or know. But the god in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mini, Mini, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mini, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. perez your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command... And Daniel was clothed with purple, a chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about sixty-two years old.
0: So last week... Uh, We began chapter 5 just simply talking about the difference between a life of repentance and a life of rebellion. And in this chapter here is going to begin with kind of painting this picture of rebellion because Nebuchadnezzar, who we've met for the first four chapters, was a man who continually turned his heart and his mind to to the things of the earth and then to God, and then to the things of the earth, and then to God, and then to the things of the earth, and then... God humbles him and he truly, repentantly turns his heart, his life, and all that he has over to God. And now here, Belshazzar, the grandson, a couple of generations removed, having heard this story told and told and told, gets to the point where he says, yeah, but that probably won't happen to me. Right? So this is something that points us to this idea that the heart of a man is truly deceitful. Right? Uh, So, my great, 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 great grandpa had this dream and it was kind of scary and weird, but the God of heaven, the God of the people of Judah spoke to Daniel, gave him the message. We understand and know that he is God. Then we throw some people in a fiery furnace and they don't burn up, and not only do they not burn up, but there's a fourth person in the fire. Surely their God protects them. Surely their God is above all gods. And So here you are, maybe a couple of generations removed, and you don't necessarily know the story of the dream or the second dream. But could you imagine, could you imagine your great, 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 great grandpa Watching three people thrown into a fire. Watching the people that threw them into the fire be consumed by the fire and die. And those people stand firm inside. And then a fourth person shows up inside the fire. And then those three people walk out unsinged. Can you imagine that story have not made it to you? Right? There's no possible way that... This Belshazzar did not know the greatness of God, at least through the story of the fiery furnace. Because there's no possible way that that story does not get passed down from generation to generation to say, holy cow, at least that was a great magic trick. At the very least, right? It points us to the fact that our hearts are deceitful, desperately sick. So what we want to do here this morning is just take a look at three checks for our heart and walk away this morning, maybe with a better understanding of just how deceitful our heart is, just how out of focus the aim of our life is. So over here, where he gives the, the, uh, the interpretation of the scriptures down in verse 24, he says, this is the, the, the interpretation that God has numbered your days as king. Can you imagine being a king and being told your days are numbered as king? Closest thing that you and I can get these days is, is maybe a diagnosis of cancer, right? Your days on planet earth are numbered. You've lived, hopefully you've lived well because your days are coming to an end. And how scary is that? scary, right? And this guy bends his knee and says, Oh my goodness, maybe if I... You don't want to be people who get to this point where God says, Alright, I've given you enough chance. I've given you enough time. You've heard enough stories. In the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 4, 6, one of those two places. Uh, it speaks of those who have uh, come into the family of God and encountered the heavenly gift and have walked away. And how those people, it is impossible for them to return. And there is, there is this one line of interpretation that says that that's people who were saved and then walked away. But we know that Jesus says that not one that the Father has given me will be lost. Which means your salvation cannot be taken from you. So what does it mean? It means that there are people who come into church services. Who go into small groups. Who see the power and the word of God. And do not respond with lives of submission. They do not respond with lives of repentance. And every time we come into this environment and experience the power of God and walk away unchanged, our hearts become a little bit harder. And a little bit harder. And a little bit harder. Until one day, you can't respond to God because you've experienced it and it's just so commonplace. Our hope here is that you and I can examine our hearts today and walk away responding in faith, responding in repentance and submission to God. So let's check our hearts. Here's the first one. God is the one who gives power and position. No, nobody in this room is likely to be crowned king anytime in the recent future, right? Anybody? Nobody in here in the line for a throne. Okay? It says uh There in verse 17, Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself. Give your rewards to another. Daniel, being a man of faith, a man who trusted God, knew that gold jewelry, knew that purple robes, and knew that a title from this pagan king would not accomplish anything for me in this life. But again, most of us are not likely to be called in in front of a king and given a message that if we deliver the message we're going to get those crowns. So what is it in our lives that we battle over? I've just been thinking and praying. Hearing stories, talking to people. And I think one of the hardest positions for people to be in is the position of trying to gain favor with another person I want you to like me I want you to love you we all fall trap to this court of public opinion I want to be a person that people love and think highly of I want to be important I, I, I want to be a valued member of my team at work I want people to think that I'm a good worker I want people to think highly of me I dress differently than a lot of people and I get made fun of a lot but you know what? I just kind of wear what I like, right? So you can make fun of me for wearing jeans that are uh, too skinny for uh, a human man. Uh, (laughs) or, Or you can make fun of me for wearing bright yellow shoes. Or you could say, Aren't ponytails for ladies? And if I'm honest with you guys, I'll stand there and tell you that I don't care what you think. I wear what I like. I do my hair. Actually, I do my hair how my wife likes. So if you guys don't like my hair, take it up with her. Um, she's right over there. There's a a large part of me that does not care what you think. There's a large part of me that just does what makes me happy. As long as it isn't dishonoring to the Lord, then I can just simply... But if you and I go behind closed doors, and I'm really honest with you, I care what people think. I don't necessarily care what you think about my clothes, really, all that much. Miss Nan's buttoning her top button, trying to fit in. That's awesome. And I'm not going to say what I'm about to say to solicit praise from you, because I know, reading here, that power and position, that praise, doesn't come from you. I don't care what you think about my clothes, but I do think I do care that you think I'm a good pastor. I do care about that. Which causes me to unduly listen to criticism more than I do to the good things that people say. Every single person in this room could write on a comment card, one thing, and ten of you could write positive things, and one of you will write a negative thing, and the only one I'll care about. Is the negative one. Why? Because I have placed too much value on your opinion of me. So here's, here's I was reading in, in one of the, the books that I study for this, and this is this guy's uh, kind of paraphrase of what Daniel said to, to this person. Listen, the jewelry, the robes, the crowns, the titles, you can keep that for you and your cronies, your wives, your concubines, your friends. The people who aren't really your friends, but they want something from you. Those people can have your stuff. They can have your praise and they can have your attention, but I don't desire it. I care what God thinks about me. And if I'm honest with you guys, I care what God thinks about me, but I also care what you think about me too. And I don't put enough attention don't put enough of my heart's affection into the fact that God has called me to be what I am and He is making me into what He wants me to be. So I may be this kind of pastor today but it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with God. And one day I'll be a different kind of pastor but not because of you but because God is moving me. I could tell you guys that when I first got here uh, the thing that I cared about most, even though I wouldn't tell you this, is that this room would be full. Because I need to measure what I do. I need to measure how effective we are. And I can wait and see, but the best way to gauge the success of a church is counting nickels and noses. But over these last three years, God has been dealing with me. The depth of discipleship is not church attendance. Church attendance is an indicator of the depth of discipleship. Small group attendance is not an indicator of discipleship. Or it is not the depth, but it is an indicator of the depth. So I can choose to care what you think. By figuring out how many of you show up, which by the way, one more week till summer is over. And people will start coming back to church regularly and I can stop being so depressed. Or, no I can't, because I'm learning that my worth is not rooted in this. Your worth is not rooted in whether or not you think you're a good mom or dad. It's not whether or not your boss thinks you're a good worker. Here's the deal. If your boss doesn't think you're a good worker, maybe there's something to that. And you should work hard. But not because you want your boss to think you're a good worker, but because you do everything that you do for the glory and praise of God. And there are a lot of things that we do here as a smaller church that no one would ever check us on. But we have to be the kind of church who dots every I, who crosses every T. Why? Not because we're worried that Mr. Bankman's gonna come in and check our ledger, but because God deserves our best. So Daniel did not offer the interpretation so that he could get a crown, a necklace, and a robe. But he did it because he trusted God. And if I give this message to this king and he kills me, My life is not held in His hands. This king also did not have his kingdom because he earned it. Right? He was just born to the right family. That kingdom was his because God placed him there. And his kingdom will end because God has something next for God's people. The next one is, it is God who sustains us. My favorite verses here... And here, this, my, I've been trying to rest in, I've been trying to pray in, I've been trying to take comfort in this, where it says, uh, but the God, there at the end of verse 23, it says, but the God in whose hand is your breath. So I can work hard and I can try to do all the right things to stay uh, in my job. And I can do all the right things to stay in my marriage. But, But I don't know when the end of my life will come. But the Lord God knows when my life will come. It's the God who gives me breath. It is God who sustains my breath. It is God who holds my living. It seems here in this moment that these things are just kind of segmented in little pieces. And it's not all that put together in these thoughts. But what I want us to do is get to the end where we can ask a question. Where it all seems to make sense. Your life, the worth of your life is not in what you do. It is not in the position that you are able to achieve Because those come from God. Your value on planet earth can be nothing if you are not on planet earth. Right? If you are not alive, if you never were alive, what value would you be to the kingdom of God right here and right now? But it is God who gives you these breaths. These are individual checks for our hearts, but I want us to ask another question. So the last one, the third one, There, Jacob. So, put. we'll go one more. My son's doing the the slides for the first time. He's been practicing it during uh, worship practice before. Musical rehearsal. uh, But he's never done a sermon before. So, he's learning. Then, it is God who executes judgment if you are trying to climb your way up the corporate ladder and you get fired because you are not living your life to the glory of God and you are cutting corners here and doing this and doing that there it is God moving you into a place not for you to get a better job and not for you to but he's doing it so that you can learn to do everything in your life for his glory everything in this case, this king is going to lose his kingdom because God is going to execute his judgment on it. The dream that Nebuchadnezzar had there back in, in chapter 1 of the, the statue with the gold head, we're about to move into the silver body. But it's God who ended this king's kingship. I not really think through that line very well. It's God who ended this guy's kingship. His kingdom, his reign as king is over. Not because these people came in and conquered him, but because God was done with him there. Every time you and I end something, it's not necessarily God executing his final judgment, but God does things to his people to move them in line of holiness. So here are the three checks for your heart are you trying to make a name for yourself in whatever area you're at do you believe that you hold yourself together and do you really understand that one day God will execute judgment so here's the question if God put his hand down and wrote on your wall what would he write And I've been wrestling with this question all week long. And as I got to the end of the week, and at the beginning of the week, I really wanted to know what God would write on my wall so I could get past it. Right? So I can make whatever changes need to be changed and I can move past it. But the further into the week I got, the more I longed for God to come and write on my wall. And the more I longed for the writing to stay there. Not because I didn't make changes, but because I want to know how to be in line with what God is doing. I want to know how to move where God moves. I want to know how to lead as God leads. God's not going to come down and write on our walls. But God is going to speak to his people. And he is going to call us to lives of obedience. He's going to call us to lives of surrender and submission to his authority. So one of the things that God continually works on me is my submission to His authority. God has not made me a pastor to lead without Him. God has not made me a father to lead without Him. God has not made me a husband to lead without Him. God is continually checking in my heart how to submit to his leadership in my life. So what would God write on your wall? What would he say to you? Would God come into you and say, stop worrying about what other people think about you without giving a care to what I think? We live in an era where people put everything out there for public consumption. And every day, I scroll through Facebook feeds and see people who are continually, helplessly, and hopelessly concerned with winning an argument, with getting one over on someone, Or upset that someone got something over on them? To what end? Are we worried about our power and our position? Are we trying to gain some sort of status? And for what purpose? Or has God been calling us like He's been calling the people of Judah and the people of Babylon to submit to Him, to care what He thinks, to follow His lead because He never fails. This morning, we're going to wrap our time up with communion, which is a normal thing to do in church. And we'll kind of file through and we'll break off the cracker and we'll take the juice. The scriptures make it clear that taking communion wrongly is a very dangerous thing. And so to hear this call from God this morning to follow his lead, to pursue a life of holiness, to hear that your life can be and should be rooted in the cross of Jesus, whose blood covered your sins, whose life was taken so that you could be a new creation for you to hear these things, to file through, take that cracker, drink that juice, with no intention of pursuing a life of holiness, with no intention of taking what we've heard this morning and doing something about it, would be wrong. So the music will begin and the song will be sung that God is worthy of our affection. That Jesus is the radiance, the glory of God. If you are really committed to pursuing a life of repentance and holiness, then come to the table. But don't do it wrongly. So why would you not? Right? So, you get people are going to be coming up here, and if I don't come, people are going to know that I'm not really committed to that. I'm telling you this morning, it would be better for those people to think whatever they think of you for not coming to the table, than it would be to come to the table and lie to God. Remember, communion is a symbol of the body of Jesus broken and the shedding of His blood to cover our sins. To remind us that God made a way for us because we could not make that way on our own. Better for people to think whatever they think of you than to take lightly the fact that God came to earth born of a woman under the same rules that you and I were born under as Jesus Christ and live victoriously under that. So we're going to sing. And you're invited to come to the table. But don't come. Don't come. Unless you're ready to make a commitment I'm not saying that God's going to strike you down dead if you fail again but coming to this table says that I will give myself over to God I will dive into his word on my own I will pursue depth discipleship in a small group I will seek God in prayer and I will choose to let him lead my life forward It's easy to eat crackers and juice. It's hard to submit to the lead of God. But we want to be people who submit to the lead of God. I don't like saying hard things to people. I like to avoid difficult conversations at all times. have to be one who submits to the lead of the Lord. And sometimes he calls us to say hard things and call people to make hard choices. The Lord is calling you. What will you decide? As we sing, you come.